Welcome to the Arena Church podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. Just before I go to the series title of Boundaries, I just want to give you an example because our word for the year is follow. Isaac, would you just jump on the stage for me? This is my son. And I just want to use this example. I used it in one of our locations. And by the way, all the locations are tend to go around and rove around and they're all doing great. So it's great, isn't it? We're one church in seven locations and God is really helping us and we're really delighted with that. And I'll use this example in the campus that leads, Lisa leads down at the hop. Because people could take this word follow and think, okay, well, I'm following no one. I'm my own boss. Okay, nobody's the boss of me. Anybody ever thought that? Anybody ever said that? Okay. (laughs) Well, the kind of follower that we're talking about, let me just give you two negatives. It's not the kind of follow where I am this dominant, you know, macho kind of bloke. And this little inferior, he's not so little now, is he? But this little boy is now having to follow me. Okay, so it's like, here, you follow me. It's not that kind of followership that we're talking about. That is not the spirit of this. Neither is it that I'm a troublemaker, and I use this with Lisa actually, I'm the troublemaker, and I am going to now lead you into trouble. So it's not that kind of follow. Anybody ever been led into trouble? Give me a wave. Anybody ever been the one leading others into trouble? Don't put your hand up, okay? (laughs) Plenty of you, plenty of you. So it's not that kind of, come and follow me, Isaac, and we're going to get into trouble. It's not that kind of followership. The kind of followership that we're talking about is a followership of a friend. If I can say this, actually, let me go deeper. It's the followership of a relationship. It's a followership that I've, and I've done many times with my son, where we've walked, And I used to say to him, he used to be down there, anybody who's had children, you know, and then the shoot up, and now I'm trying to go up like there, a bit further. The kind of followership that we're talking about is just for a moment, suppose that I'm God, I know I'm not, so please don't think he's got this complex, I haven't. I'm using it as an example, and this is you. And the followership that we're talking about is an invitation where you come and have a walk with your father. And I just wanted to show you the wide open spacious, spacious places that I have for your son. And you can enjoy all the pleasure. And Isaac may say, well, can we go down here? Well, yes, we can, but just be a little careful. You know, we're following. I'm still, I'm leading him, I'm helping him. But then other times you may say, I want to go down here. No, I don't think that's a particularly great place to go. Well, why, why dad? Well, you don't know what I know. Have you got it? You don't know what I know. So if you'll follow me, then we'll be all right. Okay, Dad, I'll follow you. And it's just walking us together. This is the kind of followership that we're talking about as a church. Just go and sit down, Isaac, thank you. It's not domineering. Why does he get a round of applause? He's he's done absolutely. That's just typical. That's just, he's done nothing anyway. That's the kind of followership that we're talking about. If you're new to Arena Church and you want to become part of Arena Church, the followership that we're talking about is that we're walking with Jesus. An invitation to come and walk with him. 
And in this series of boundaries, this is a similar sort of thing because boundaries can be, you know, construed in many different ways. And I'll come on to that in a moment. But what we want to do is help people to understand the power of boundaries in our lives. I'm so delighted that we we got to hear from, I mean, Tim, you were hilarious, okay, in terms of your message, what you shared, and just fantastic, the whole thought of, you know, the the health of boundaries and maintaining them and the blessings of them. And of course, we did hear from Phil with regards to, you know, talking about um, holiness, which is not a word that's used much anywhere, and real good understanding of that. And today, what I want to do is just give another few thoughts around this whole thought to do with boundaries. And then at the end of the message, please don't worry if I say I've got three points because I will be quick. They're headlines. And I want to show you one of the things that you've got to do if you're going to walk into boundaries, you've got to learn to let go. You've got to learn to let go. So let me give you a, a, a verse for a moment that I want to just help you with. And all the verses will come on the screens. But it's found in Proverbs in chapter 22 and verse 28. And this is what it reads. Do not move an ancient boundary stone set up by your ancestors. Do not move that boundary stone that was set set up there. Now, this was very important in Eastern culture because in Eastern culture, they would lay out boundary stones that would show which land was theirs. Boundary lines are still important today. There are people who have boundary disputes. Boundary line disputes. And so they are still important today. And the Bible tells us not to move ancient boundary stones. In another word, we could put it, do not move those ancient boundaries that I have instituted for your well-being and for your good. Now, as I've already said, boundary lines, for me, they articulate two particular reasons why we need them. Number one, they reveal ownership. (laughs) They show who has land and, 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 and rights over that land and property. And I really don't want to be overtly political, and Tim certainly wasn't in his lead. But the awfulness of the news at the moment is a man with no boundaries, aggressively trying to move the boundary lines. And we see the devastation that it causes in the natural. So in the natural, so in the spiritual. So they reveal ownership rights, but also boundary lines for me help me know, sorry, they help me where to go and where not to go. Now I've had the privilege of traveling on many occasions to America. It's a place that we love to go on holiday to and The places where we went to, and we've got uh, Adam and Gina here, and they would be aware of that from a different context of the States, but, you know, where we went to, there was a lot of swampland, marshland, and you've got it, there were long grasses, and in those long grasses and in those ponds, they say wherever there's an expanse of water, there will be snakes and alligators. Now, if you want to go and pet an alligator, and if you want to go and pet your pet snake, that's up to you, but don't come and bring it to me. I love all of God's creation. Doesn't mean to say I have to want to pet them. Is that okay? So if you like snakes, that's your bag. No problem. But don't bring it to church, okay? We're not that kind of church. (laughs) Oh, something's gone in my mind there. Okay, snakes in church. Yeah, we don't want that. Okay. We really don't want that. Okay. But in America, they say don't go into those places because 
there is the danger of coming into poisonous snakes and alligators. You see, boundary lines, boundary signs tell us where to go and where not to go. They protect. They are saying, beware of these areas, of these areas you could go into. Be careful, they could be dangerous. Why I'm saying all this is because many often, more often than not, people, when you use this phrase boundaries, they think, oh, you're just a killjoy. You're just against stuff. We just want to be free. We want to live out there. Listen to me very, very carefully. God wants us to live in wide open, spacious places. But there are a number of things, going back to the illustration that he knows, that you don't know. He knows that I don't know. And he wants to protect us from those things. And what he does, he provides banks. A family member of mine sent me images of Matlock when it was under four foot of water because the, the, the river banks had broken. Use this illustration as a boundary line. It's like we've got the banks of the river and we've got the river flowing through and the river is creative. It can go how it wants to go, but it's in the constraints and in the boundaries of those banks. This is how God wants us to live our lives. He wants us to live with creative flow. He wants us to be able to go like the rivers and like the waters. He wants us to enjoy all that there is within the context of that. Because if we go outside of that, we cause devastation, cause heartache. And I really believe there's been an attack on boundaries over centuries and certainly in this time. Words of discipline and decisions and consistency and commitment are not favorable words. And yet in Arena Church, we're encouraging everybody for them to be values, to be embraced. I remember a song in the 90s, please forgive me for a moment. I did this in Mansfield and they said to me, there was a guy who shouted out who knew the song immediately. And uh, it'll be amazing if there is somebody else who knows it. But it was a song in 1993, No Limits. No, 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 no. There's no limits. <laughs> wow, there we go, it was. Now let me tell you, there are no limits to what God can do. But there should be limits to what we do. The song actually was saying that, you know, that basically we can do it. If you read into it, we can basically do what we want. And that's the spirit of the age in which we live. And if you're here today, I'm not here to condemn you. It's you've bought into that, as many of us had. We thought we could do what we want, live without limits. We'd shun boundaries. And here we are today. I want to encourage you to live with limits and embrace boundaries as friends. Here's some points if you're taking notes. Boundary lines are not restrictive, but they're liberating. And we should see them as protective not prohibitive. Like I said, this is not legalism. This is not do-gooding. This is not scoring points. This is a free-flowing river in the contents of the boundary of the banks. Now, God gave us specific boundaries for life and living. And I remember talking to somebody in our church here who once said, without any, without any glee, it was with, with deep repentance, but they said, every one of the Ten Commandments I have broken. And these were boundaries 
that God gave to his people. And by the way, I've heard people say they have no relevance to the 21st century. If there was ever a time when we need to go back to the Ten Commandments, it's today. It says, number one, you shall have no other gods before me. The gods that we worship are not little idols in a corner. They're cars on our driveways. They're the knots on our bank balances. Anything that we set, a, set up higher than God is a God to us. Number two, you shall not make idols. Number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Some of you have got potty mouths in this place. God will just redeem that. That's fine. But let me tell you, God wants to redeem our mouths. He doesn't want us to take the Lord's name in vain. When I hear people use, say, Jesus in a disparaging way, it hurts me. It hurts me. Because it's somebody who I love. Somebody who I cherish. Somebody who I know. And I wouldn't want to use his name in vain. And this is what he was saying. Number four, he says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. If you have to work on Sundays, that's fine. Just make sure you've got a day in the week where you can give yourself to rest. Number five, honor your father and mother, Josiah. And every other child downstairs. And by the way, if your mums and dads are still alive, we should still live with this truth. Number six, you shall not murder. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Number eight, you shall not steal. Number nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, telling lies. And number 10, you shall not covet. These boundaries are so powerful. And God set these parameters in place for us because he wanted us to live in the freedom of this life. But man keeps crossing over the line. And we keep bearing the pain of Adam and Eve's decision. They were given boundaries in the garden. Just don't eat from one tree. What did they do? They ate from the tree. And we've been bearing the pain ever since. Now let me just give you a context for a moment of the world that we live in because there are some very learned people in this room today. You're smart, you're switched on. And I think everybody would agree with what I'm about to say. You may not in the fullness of it, but you'll get the spirit of it. Because I see few or no boundaries in the world today. In relationships, in sexuality, in business, in families, in science, in politics, in finance, in sports, in fact everywhere. And whilst we're on the dedication theme of children, it's important that parents understand the importance of laying good, solid foundations and boundaries in place for our children. Boundaries of respect and honour and manners and standards of behaviour. Would you agree? Uh, we certainly would. That way you give yourself a better chance. It doesn't mean that the ch child is not going to do what they want to do, but you are giving yourself the best possible chance of laying boundaries in place for the child to live in. Now we live in an age of relativity in science and religion. Most of the Western culture, and this is true according to surveys, believe there are few moral absolutes about what is right or wrong. They usually say it depends on the situation. So the new scientists, social scientists, have coined this phrase that sums up this approach. They call it situation ethics. <laughs> 
So basically what this means is if somebody is hungry and they, you have food, they can steal it from you because they are hungry and that is okay. And many people here would say, well, of course it's okay because we shouldn't have hungry people. And by the way, we shouldn't have hungry people. That's why we have food banks. That's why we run, do what we do so much outside of Arena Church to help broken people. And you may say, well, I don't see anything wrong with that. Okay, let me now give you another scenario then. You need a car to go to work. Is it okay that somebody just comes and smashes your window on your driveway and steals your car? Because they need the car to get to work. How far do we go with this? And the reality is that people, and I've realized this, even in church, this is why I'm addressing it. People live with this. Well, it's okay to just have, have, tell a few white lies. There's no such thing as white lies. No such thing as gray lies. It's a, a lie is a lie. I know this is uncomfortable because I feel uncomfortable writing it. But this is what we bought into, this situation ethics. And basically what this means is this. Everybody does what is right in your own eyes. And this is all through the, the Bible of the Old Testament. It says of the people of God, they did what was right in their own eyes. <laughs> basically what we're saying is, it doesn't matter as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. By the way, it always hurts somebody else. And secondly, it does matter. Because yes. everything we do does matter. I read one headline about Christian morality. They said this, Christian morality is being ushered out of social structures and off the cultural main stage. We're being cancelled. Leaving a vacuum in its place. And the broader culture is attempting to fill the void. No, I'm not asking us to be belligerent. I'm not asking us to be cruel. I'm not asking us to be unkind. I'm asking us to live out of the virtues of Jesus, the values of Jesus. He spoke to people respectfully. He lived his life. There is nobody like Jesus. There is nobody like Jesus. I dare you to find anybody greater than Jesus. I was reading the, even this week that Pilate saw no charge couldn't say anything about him, bad. Remarkable. So I'm asking us to live out of the virtues of Jesus, but I'm asking us to take a stand and to do it in a right way, to live with boundaries, to reclaim ground. This is not a time to be weak, it's a time to be courageous. This is what radical followership looks like. We need to be people who walk the talk. So this leads me on to my closing thought. Are you still okay with me? Yeah. Oh, you're really quiet. Do I need to do a bit of a song and dance routine or just get you going a little bit? No? I'm okay? I'm all right? You don't want the song and dance? <laughs> that was just cruel, Tim. That was cruel. Serious subject. Serious subject it is. When I've thought about this and really reflected deep in my heart, because I haven't found boundaries easy. I'm a man who likes to push boundaries. Anybody who knows me, my mum's in this room. She knows I will do any, anything. I've been married to my wife for nearly 30 years. I will push boundaries. It's been a constant. Caroline is very compliant. <laughs> I am less so. 
So this is not a subject that's come easy to me. Don't be thinking like I've got angels river dancing on my duvet and like, whoa, he's just awesome. It's not true. I've really struggled with this stuff of boundaries because I want to break every rule. I want to be, be a rebel. Anybody know what I'm talking I want to be a rebel without a cause. I just want to cause mayhem and havoc wherever I go. <laughs> You may say, really? Yeah, that's, that's my old life. And the thing that I've got to learn to do is this. If I want to live with boundaries, and I do, and I do live with boundaries, is got to, I've got to learn to let go. So let me just take you for a moment into a story. It'll come on the screen in Mark chapter 10. As we get there, what I'm talking about is there is stuff that we hold on to. Let me use, let me use a phrase, rubbish, garbage. Junk, chains, failings. Let me wrap that in one word that the Bible uses above all the other words and people really get frustrated by it. But this is what it's meaning, sin. Just the sinful life. And sin entraps us. So let me ask you this question before we go to this story. In thoughts of letting go, because we have to let go of some things if we're going to walk into a newness. We have to first of all identify what masters us. What's mastery? What's master, has got mastery over you? So, Mark chapter ten and verse forty-six. Let's read together, shall we? It says this: Then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. And there was a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, Jesus, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him here. So they called to the blind man and they said to him, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. And Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man answered, Rabbi, I want to see. And Jesus said, go. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. I've been preaching now for nearly 30 years. Honestly, when I say that, that's true. Longer, actually. This is one of the stories that I've preached from probably more regularly than any other story in the Gospels. It has so many layers to it, but I want to just for a moment hone in just for the last few minutes that we have together on verse 50. It says there that Bartimaeus throwing his cloak aside. But before we do that, I want to make some parallels between Bartimaeus and all of us. So I need you to just to, you know, go in your chair and just lean forward for a moment. Because this is going to have application for every single one of us. There was a man by the name of Charles Haddon Spurgeon who was a remarkable preacher. And he preached in London. In fact, he preached across the world. 
And he was from another age, but he says of this story, Bartimaeus, this poor man, he was beset with two great evils, blindness and poverty. It's sad enough to be blind, but to be both blind and poor, these were combination of the sternest of evils. This is us. We too are blind. You may say, Christian, don't you say I'm blind. I've got 20-20 vision. Wonderful. I haven't. I'm as blind as a bat if I take these off, put them on, I can see you. I'm not talking about in the natural. I'm talking about spiritual blindness. The Bible tells us that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. We can't see. You try and help people, my job is to help people. I'm a tour guide. I'm a shepherd. I try and help people along the journey to faith and try and understand what life is all about. And you know that you are hitting a wall. You're hitting blackness because the God of this age has blinded their hearts and minds. Let me say it this way. Their hearts are dulled. You t- today may feel like your hearts are dulled. But there's shafts of light that's just coming in, in this moment. This is what Spurgeon was talking about. They were blind. But in this story, he wasn't just blind, but he was also poor. And you again may say, Christian, I'm not poor. I've got loads in the bank. Well, good for you. Share it around. Be generous. (laughs) But again, I'm not talking about the natural wealth and resources. I'm talking about spiritually poor. You may say, how dare you say that? Well, I can because I see the world which is very broken and very destitute. I see people who are morally bankrupt. I'm not sitting in judgment. I was there once. But the world is broken. And people are spiritually poor. And Bartimaeus was both blind and poor. Again, Spurgeon says of this story, our father Adam Well, he spent our birthright, he lost our estate. Paradise, the homestead of our race, has become dilapidated. And we are left in the depths of beggary without anything with which we may buy bread for our hungry souls and our naked spirits. Blindness and beggary are the lot of all men till Jesus Oh, till Jesus visits them in his love. There are hundreds of people across Arena Church who were begging for bread and were naked in their souls till Jesus met them in their love. You will be sat next to, you don't know who you're sat next to. You could be sat next to a criminal. You could be sat next to a doctor. You could be sat next to a, a council worker. You could be sat next to a teacher. It doesn't matter. We've got an eclectic mix across Arena Church, and that's what I'm so delighted with. But the reality is, the same Jesus has touched every one of our broken lives. I say this because Bartimaeus is a picture of a man without foundation, without substance, without value or worth, devoid of boundaries. And like us, he was poor and blind. And if I can say this quickly before we come to the three final points, without a moral foundation and healthy boundaries, 
we will all crash, crash into ditches of destruction and despair. And this is what's happening at the present time in much of our world. We're on the cliff edge of disaster, staring into the, the abyss. And the reality is people don't know it. But Bartimaeus knew where to go. He'd heard about Jesus. And he shouted to him. And he went to Jesus and he knew that Jesus was boundless with his love. <laughs> but Bartimaeus had to do one thing. He had to throw his cloak aside. We've got to let go. So what does this signify? Well, let me give you three things very quickly. If you're taking notes, I really want to help you with this quickly. Number one, when Jesus calls us to follow him, he asks us to throw off our old lives. Anything that may keep us from serving him wholeheartedly so that we're unencumbered by our former lives. And in this sense, Bartimaeus was thrown the cloak away because his desire was to present himself to Jesus and to give himself completely to his saviour. Hebrews 12 verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything. That hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us all. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Number two, throwing aside the cloak was a literal decision to no longer rely on anything that he may have relied on before. As a blind beggar, this cloak was quite literally one of the very few material possessions and was probably so essential to him for many reasons. We have people who have been on our streets. We've, we house them and we love you guys dearly and girls dearly. We really do. Many of those people who've lived on the streets, their cloak is a sleeping bag. But in this context, it's a cloak. And this cloak would have been a sole source of shelter and warmth for him. And most likely the most valuable item that he owned. But note this, he would have also used the cloak to collect the money. It wouldn't have been a cloak that would have gone here. It would have been wide because it was thick. It needed to keep him warm. And he used to spread it out when he was on the street corners. Because bear in mind, law-keeping Jews could not touch him because he was seen as unclean. That's why Jesus broke with all protocol. He touched them. Oh, come on, friends. He touched them. He touched them. And the law-keeping Jews who had money to give him weren't able to touch him or weren't prepared to touch him. So he would spread his cloak around on the ground and he would, they would throw the money. But get this, he needed to spread it large because he couldn't see. So he didn't know where the money had gone. So he was hopeful that it would land in his lap. Without this cloak, he wouldn't have been able to catch the gifts easily. So the cloak played an important role in him being able to collect whatever was tossed to him. Get this, in this sense, throwing aside the cloak meant that he was choosing to trust Jesus to give him a better future. What do you need to throw aside? What do you need to let go of? 
that you're going to enter a better future. And number, th- number three, thirdly, it was an act of faith. It was an act of faith. Bartimaeus believed that he would no longer need the cloak to collect the money. And he trusted that Jesus was going to heal him. And his faith was such that with little hesitancy, he discarded the cloak. This constant companion, his closest tie to any hope of survival. And he went to Jesus confident in the healing that was to come. Have you got it? Let me sum up. To embrace the new, we must relinquish the old. To walk into discipline, we must walk away from chaos. To enjoy the fruit of a new life, we must plant new seeds in new pastures. And to live with the blessing of God, we must live with boundaries.